Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Sunday evening edition of the Dunk Time Basketball Podcast. Big show. we got to catch up on all the weekend's action. San Antonio and Houston tied it two as are Boston and Washington, while Cleveland has eliminated Toronto. We won't talk about that series too much. And Golden State taking a 3-0 lead on Utah. So I'm by far the most interested in the San Antonio-Houston series. It's been quite the zigzag back and forth. San Antonio winning games two and three. Houston winning games one and four. We haven't recorded since the end of game two. Let's start by talking about today's game and how Houston was able to break really this two-game long long stranglehold in which they had held Houston in the 90s defensively. So for two games, the Spurs were able to use Pau Gasol to his maximum of as a rim protector who was pretty stagnant in the restricted area. But that's a good thing for him because he's better at doing that than defending in space. And whether it was because of necessity being the mother of invention because Nene got hurt and Clint Capella got in foul trouble, they ended up on something you have advocated for this entire series, which is Ryan Anderson at center. And those lines lineups were absolutely unguardable. Yeah, we saw Nene left groin injury, was unable to return after two minutes. Actually, went to the hospital, I think, just to get an MRI on it. But you have to imagine if it was so bad, he couldn't even try to give it a go that he may be out for a significant period of time. Clint Capella got two fouls in the first quarter. They already were starting to run him, though, pretty badly here. So it may not have even changed it that much. But then with Ryan Anderson at center, San Antonio actually had closed back within 29-22, right about the time that they just had to bring Anderson back in. They didn't have any other bigs who weren't in foul trouble, unless they are going to go with Harrell, who isn't really a great option against the Spurs because he doesn't have the size and rebounding prowess. And immediately, San Antonio had no counter. First, they had to go with David Lee at center. David Lee really struggled in this game on defense. Although, amazingly, he actually was somehow plus one. But part of that, I think, was because he played in those units with uh, Kawhi at the four. And the units were unguardable. Now, of course, they couldn't guard the Spurs either. Uh, And that was a major problem for Houston. And it looked like, actually, San Antonio was crawling back into the game. I don't want to say was all Anderson at center too because James Harden was I thought way better in this game even though he put up the 43 points uh basically as the only guy in game three and then Houston of course was hitting shots so they went 19 of 43 on three-pointers shot 44 percent that was and they killed in three-pointers in game one and then they couldn't hit their relatively equal volume of threes in games two and three so you could point to that if you want to really be reductive about it but I thought that really they had no chance of guarding Houston once Anderson was at center especially in, in the third quarter when they really broke out to a lead in that third quarter which proved completely disastrous for san antonio houston outscored the spurs 34 23 and then broke it open even worse a lot of that with Kawhi on the bench as well and i was just i was very disappointed in popovich because when they were able to break back in they had anderson at center at the start at the end of the second quarter and they went with Kawhi at the four and they looked great and then he never once went back to that lineup even as they started getting run in the third quarter we have heard this story before last year in the playoffs it took Popovich until they were basically out of the series against the Thunder but this is even worse because he was forced to try it and every time they've done it in this series it's worked and he still won't do it right and that's a, a big struggle one of the stats that I think represents the difference between these two games is that in game three Houston attempted 28 shots at the rim they made 15 of them which is worse than you would expect that 28 went to 37 in game four and they made 23 of them so not only did they get nine more shots but they also made eight more shots and they took 43 three-pointers as well and I mean those shots at the rim were great 
right? You know, what percentage do they shoot on shots at the rim in game four? 62%. Yeah, so that's a little bit better than average. Uh, and then obviously the three pointers, but they they were getting there. I just subjectively, and again, these went in, so and I haven't looked at the shot data or watched film of every single shot, but they got up more threes and just subjectively the process behind them was much better. It seemed like there were plays where it's either guys driving in for a wide open layup. I mean, in that second quarter, especially like Harden went in for a dunk. Lou Williams just went in for a dunk and then they started adjusting to that and it was just boom one pass wide open corner three for Ryan Anderson uh, every time they ran a screen roll with Ariza as the screener they got something good I thought Ariza has been outstanding both in knowing when to pop to the three-point line or to do a short roll or even just a hard roll like a normal big man and been impressed with his finishing at the rim in this series I thought he's looked very good in the playoffs overall with that it seemed like he really his athleticism had waned enough to where he wasn't effective doing that anymore and he has looked really good in these playoffs so great for him there and I mean, I did think, though, the one thing that they weren't really able to get much of was free throws. They only took 10 free throws in the whole game, the Rockets, and they still put up a buck 25. But in large part, I think that was because the Spurs like weren't even close enough to foul them on a lot of these attempts at the rim. I mean, to shoot that many shots at the rim and then that few free throws, you very rarely see that combination. Last year, we worried about the Spurs' ability to create separation and the idea that they, they could do, still could do a good job of maximizing the seams that were created but that they couldn't create them. And what this Rockets unit and what Kawhi at the four did was it made it so much easier because you couldn't help anywhere. And so all it took was really one piece of separation to create a really, really good shot. And that could be a pretty basic screen. Like what the Rockets were running a lot of times were these very rudimentary things and they're getting these incredible looks out of it. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And it just... David Lee at the four couldn't get anything done. He didn't have any rim protection at the five. Like his, he has no chance really of performing either of the duties that you need from a center when they're playing him at center. Aldridge, I thought that he, his getting in foul trouble was big in the first. And then uh, he was the only guy that they had going in the third quarter as he had 10 points. But it was just a very interesting juxtaposition because they started Gasol and Aldridge. In the third, Anderson was not at center, but they continued a similar look because they were like, all right, we get, we need a backup center. Now with Nene out, we're going to have to bring anderson off the bench as the center so they actually started eric gordon for anderson and that was just equally problematic and then they had james harden guarding Pau gasol in the post on the other end and gasol he scored once and he set up like a Dejounte murray layup once and aldridge got in the post he scored 10 points but that just that wasn't enough that uh, because houston was getting whatever they wanted on the other end and actually converting on those three pointers and it just the level of explosion even though they're getting into the post and and being relatively effective there it's just they didn't have the firepower to keep up with Houston and just the more offensive series the more offensive this series gets really the better it is for the Rockets because and I guess I feel for Popovich a little bit because you see think you see Houston like all right we can't score with these guys it becomes an offensive game but you have no tr- if, if they go to certain lineups you can't keep it from becoming an offensive game by putting David Lee or Pau Gasol in the game like those guys it's going to be an offensive game whether those guys are in, are in or not and finally you mentioned this as one of your big keys to the game when we did the Twitter NBA show was can they make Powell Gasol defend in space instead of just hanging out under the rim and they found the way to do that and I don't know I mean we'll talk about what we uh what this game portends for the future of this series but it it really has been very interesting part of it has been Houston either hitting or not hitting their threes but there just was a lot more process to how Houston was scoring in games one and four than in games two and three. Speaking of process something that disturbed me in this game was Kyle Anderson getting minutes when they were trying to figure out answers because Kyle Anderson he's not an answer to anything exactly <laughs> because, because he, he's he's like theoretically a small and he's got like some ball handling skills but he has no explosion he can't do anything in the half court he can't shoot and then there's his defense so he's not providing anything that is important it's eerily similar to some criticisms I used to have of David Lee but Anderson does it in a smaller package and so it's it's less viable in that way he's also a worse rebounder and Anderson I had high hopes for him in college I'm not writing him off as a theoretical NBA player though I, I struggle to see against the best of the best and Houston has a really deep bench they don't play players where you can do that and we saw that there was a moment in this game where the Rockets were able to do something that they did so often against the Thunder which is put James Harden on players that they didn't consider threats and just let him do whatever the heck he wanted there was a period of time where he was on Kyle Anderson and basically just ignoring him and that's the perfect defensive role for James Harden yeah Anderson did have eight points but most of that was in garbage time 
late. Uh, I mean, it was funny to me because I felt like the Spurs got some pretty good performances in this game. Like Aldridge was seven out of 13. He only played 25 minutes. Kawhi only played 30. He never came back in after getting subbed out in the third. Uh, Pop went into give up mode, which is understandable. I, people are like shaming him for like giving up down 20 with seven minutes to go. It's like, uh, no, no, you're not going to win. Um, the other one we should and, talk about that I think was important is Jonathan Simmons. Jonathan Simmons yeah, had yeah, I was one, gonna of the, get to him too. one of the best offensive games of his career and showed some bounce, had some nice finishes and also made a couple threes. And to, I would say, waste that opportunity, but to fail to utilize it in, in, a, in a game that was more competitive is certainly disappointing, even though it's encouraging moving forward. You know, I thought once Gasol and Lee weren't working, Pop really was just searching for answers. And again, I think he just, he jacks guys, are like the guys who are essentially just jacks them around too much. Like Danny Green, you know, he played what, like 15 minutes in the first half? He had uh, zero personal fouls in this game. Like Danny Green should be playing 40 minutes a game. Like if you, they can't stop the Rockets, maybe having a guy who can guard everyone on the floor when they go small might be useful for you, Greg Poffage. And he could still hit a three. I mean, you know, I know that like he likes to get on and he thinks Green makes too many mistakes or whatever. Um, you know, Ginobili played pretty well. He only played 16 minutes. Patty Mills, I know DeJounte Murray actually had some moments in this game. He had uh, some really nice finishes at the rim and was just taking James Harden off the dribble during that delightful second quarter. That was actually probably my favorite quarter of basketball we've seen, by the way, this entire playoffs, that second quarter. If people want to see Happy Nate that watching that part on the Twitter NBA show on the replay, I mean, because it was, it, yeah, there was very little defense, but it was very little defense because of the process. It wasn't just teams sucking. Yeah, uh, but yeah, yeah so uh, Murray did play well, and it was nice to see him attacking James Harden and just blowing right by him, see the rookie get some confidence because he does have some tools. Uh, but Patty Mills only playing 28 minutes. I mean, he should be starting the game, and he should be playing more. Like They, they have the weapons to keep up with Houston, and as crazy as it is to say, I mean, just kind of go on down the line, right? Like, I think Kawhi Leonard is better than James Harden. I think LaMarcus Aldridge is better than the second best player on the Rockets. You know, Ryan Anderson, if you're going to play uh, Aldridge at center. Danny Green is certainly the equal, if not better, than Trevor Ariza as a 3 and D guy. Uh, Patty Mills, probably a better offensive player than Patrick Beverly. Definitely a better shooter. You, you know, Manu Ginobili and Lou Williams, uh, you know, those guys match up pretty well. Simmons has played well in this series. Um, you know, I know Eric Gordon is pretty good. You know, he, he's probably better than some of those San Antonio bench guys. But, like, they have the firepower to actually, like, play small against these guys and beat them because they have Kawhi, who's unguardable if you spread the floor. He can just go right through Ariza every time. Ariza was awesome in this game, by the way, 7 to 9, 16 points. Uh, and Kawhi was pretty muted, just didn't really take as many shots and didn't get to the foul line. He only had 16 points on 14 shots. Uh, but, and then the Spurs have more two way players, more guys who can defend their man individually, switch if you need to. Like, I think they should be able to hang with and beat the Rockets if things go a little bit smaller or the Rockets force them to go smaller. And you just say, all right, you know, if Ryan Anderson is your center, right, we, we get it. You know, we got to guard ryan anderson we got to go a little bit smaller but like they should be able to beat the rockets in that kind of a game they just refuse to play it and same thing if they're going to go with ariza at the four going to ryan anderson at center is really what also changes that because houston centers especially clint capella are capable defensively it's part of the reason why i thought they had a higher defensive ceiling than some did and anderson of course at center has very distinct limitations offensively it's fantastic and the spurs as you said have more two-way perimeter players especially if we're saying focus focusing on wings because Beverly, you know, he, he, I don't, I don't really trust Beverly guarding guys that much bigger than he is. I mean, he could go maybe a position up, but if you're not, you you can't put him, I don't think you can put him on Kawhi, you know, you go no. into those sorts of circumstances. So he's versatile, but he's not as versatile as Danny Green is defensively. Yeah, and it also Aldridge, guys. Aldridge can work Ryan Anderson in the post if they just have more shooting around him as well. I mean, they have a lot more individual mashups. I think they can go to than Houston does. If you're getting into a switching three point shooting game and they could take away their threes by switching still i think so i mean you've got guys like green simmons Kawhi. if you've got those three guys out there i think you can guard pretty decently um even if you you are gonna have to do with harden who again i thought played a lot better in this game um yeah i don't know it, it's uh, i mean houston deserves a lot of credit like they have some great shooters on this team I mean, gordon was unbelievable 22.6 of nine from three uh lou williams didn't shoot that well eventually but he played 32 minutes six out of 15 and and uh he had some big moments 
at times as they were breaking out to the lead and stemming the Spurs ties they were trying to come back in the second uh you know Beverly playing a, on, on a day that he lost his grandfather played pretty well um Arizo was great seven to nine from the field so they've got a lot of talent Ryan Anderson I mean that three that Anderson hit at the end of the third quarter from just like Sugarland Silver Houston uh on, on a pick and pop I mean to shoot that shot on a pick and pop is just completely insane uh and also you know what the most misleading stat of this game was though the fast break points that San Antonio actually had more fast break points they must have gotten some in garbage time but uh San Antonio's transition defense I thought was pretty abysmal in the first half and another advantage that uh, it doesn't have to be permanent but that we've seen so far in the series is that Mike D'Antoni has been much more comfortable pushing pushing buttons and trying out really different things not necessarily out of frustration but out of just trying it and some of that has been necessity being the mother of invention but he's been more willing to go outside the box than Popovich has and that's actually worked well I, I don't know we're probably not giving Popovich enough credit because we were all calling for these exact same adjustments after game one and instead this going with Gasol and just mucking uh, hanging back at the rim worked incredibly well you know uh, uh but that doesn't work well when Houston gets out in his transition I thought San Antonio to me after the in the first half though was right there with them playing small like they turned it over on 20 percent of their possessions they only trailed by four at halftime 57 53 they had outscored them by eight points in the second quarter most of that was playing super small and you know holding them to 23 points that was pretty good and so then it just got away from them in the third and their transition defense was really bad too if i think san antonio i think pop is right about one thing that they need to get more offense on the floor after game one and playing small to me gets that offense on there more because you know you're really spreading the floor that's what it's more about than uh, that i mean that's just like the crux of the modern game is that spreading the floor is worth more than having a guy who can like post up and score 45 percent of the time when he posts up which you're kind of what you're getting with gasol um particularly when you're one of the yeah. few teams in the league that has a fair amount of versatile perimeter players you know like that the spurs have this tactical advantage and they can pull these things off that most other teams can't and while they're not as deep as maybe they have been in other years they certainly have enough guys to do it in larger spurts than they have but where i wanted to pivot this to is something that amuses me significantly so we've been critical to a point i I think that your praise on popovich for the adjustment with gasol is very well served even with that and the the disappointments that they didn't go small enough in this game i will only speak for myself though i have a feeling that you're the same way is that i still expect the spurs to win this series well let's talk about that uh, our prediction for the series coming up right after this from our friends at indochino Indochino is making it easy to get a perfectly tailored suit at an absolutely incredible price. The time was, if you wanted a custom-made suit, no way you're getting it for under $1,000. In fact, I went to this place in Chinatown in San Francisco, and that was like the cheap made-to-measure suit was like $1,200 about five years ago. Now, Indochino actually has got me a suit that fits better than the one that I paid for earlier. And if you're going to an even more expensive place to get a suit made-to-measure than like the cheap one that it's going to be even more ridiculous but Indochino will get you a premium made to measure suit for just $379 when entering my code capspace at checkout not only is it better than off the rack suits in terms of fit but you can choose whatever you want in terms of fabrics patterns lapels pleats jacket linings monograms whatever you want you can either go into one of their nine north american showrooms or you can submit your body measurements they show you how to do it at indochino.com and in four weeks, you'll get the best, most stylish suit that you've ever worn. So again, Indochino.com, promo code CATSPACE. You can get any premium Indochino suit for just $379. Shipping is free. That's Indochino.com, promo code CATSPACE. Is there anything else you want to say about game three? Or do you think that just the series has fundamentally changed now and they just, because presumably they're just going to start Ariza again at the four. Although, I mean, that really has, that's a lineup that actually has less shooting uh, than the one with Anderson so I'm not sure why that would make such a difference in terms of spreading the floor with the starting lineup Uh, but I think also using Ariza as the screener worked extremely well for them and then going with Anderson at the five like is this whole Gasol Aldridge hanging out at the rim have they beaten that now or is that still gonna be a factor 
I think it's still going to be a factor because presumably they're still going to start with Capella at center. So this could be an opportunity of get while the getting is good for Pau. Just go to that lineup for as long as you can stomach it and then move move on it from there. But I, I do think that there's a path for it. But the other reason why I think that game three is telling is just the idea of kind of where the overall talent level is in the series. I mean, Kawhi in that game, I thought he had a, a better performance overall, 26 points, basically 50% from the field. And if memory serves, yeah, he only got to the line. He only got to the line eight times in that game, which is less than usual. It was only three in game four, in game four. But I feel like San Antonio's role players, other than Simmons, can step it up a little bit and can can do it. And so game three does still matter. And game three also matters because I think of the reminder that there, there are still more adjustments that the Spurs can throw out there than really what the Rockets can do. I think the Rockets have kind of achieved their final forms at this point, And it's really just little tweaks yeah. from there, whereas the Spurs still have things they can do yeah i do think one thing that they might go to the Rockets still is more small small screening we saw them do that in game two didn't see that in game three hardly at all didn't see it in this game either but especially if it's going to be more of a switch game now uh with harden going to have to attack one-on-one which i thought he was really really good at uh in game four that might be one thing that you, they can do but i agree i think it's really up to san antonio to respond now and i think to some extent they can respond by just doing a better job actually i mean they could make better than nine out of 18 of their free throws they could make better than 30 percent of their three-pointers houston probably won't hit 44 percent of their three-pointers again you know some stuff is just naturally going to regress to the mean they'll be at home they're going to pl- probably play a little bit better um but yeah, I do think there's more they can do going small. And hopefully they'll look at the film and say, hey, you know what? Like we were being those guys. But I think just being in that offensive of a game just turned Popovich's stomach. And that's uh, that may be an, an issue for them. But I do think there are things the Spurs can do. I thought that they did well. And now that D'Antoni, perhaps out of necessity, as you said, has changed back to going with Anderson at center and just trying to speed the game up even more. That's usually what his answer to things is are uh they also can force more turnovers too the rockets only had nine turnovers in this game in a high possession game so that's another thing i I think and then it can actually like you know get back on defense and then the offensive rebounding too games two and three they've had over 40 percent offensive rebounds that's one thing that you're kind of punting a little bit if you go to more of the uh at the four spacing type lineup uh but you know that's fine because you're they're totally unguardable when they do that for houston um so i don't know it'll be interesting to see I mean, this is a lot of things went badly for the Spurs in this game other than just failing to go small and it sure did seem though I mean there's just such a qualitative difference in how easy it looked offensively for Houston other than just the fact that they were making shots it just seemed like you know there it wasn't like all right they're throwing it to him this guy's got to get his shot off quickly before a closeout it was just like oh man these dudes are wide open now and even if sometimes if the first they had some good first possession defense like you notice when the Spurs were really on it like there were a couple plays where Manu Ginobili was doing some really nice scramble defense between two different guys when you notice that sort of thing it's always a bad sign for that team yeah and there were a few more mistakes that they made as well which are perhaps uncharacteristic i think that spurs and seven is more likely right now uh even though houston has had the two most dominating victories in this series just because of the math of again home team going home tied it to is pretty dominating i know i picked the rockets in six i could very easily see that happening still i mean this game five i think is going to be awesome i really i really hope we finally get a close game between these two teams that we can really pick apart down the stretch as well i'm looking forward to that uh but i mean this has been from just the contrast and styles this series to me has been everything that we hoped it would be since we knew that this was going to be a matchup like three months ago yeah now we only have to wait until tuesday so that'll be and it'll be the only game on its day so we can really focus on it's not not like another series which doesn't have a game until wednesday yeah what game is that what series is that washington boston oh really yeah they already had a two-day layoff before this game mm-hmm. oh wow that's too bad well I mean, I, I guess so. We're gonna have, I mean, assuming Golden State wins tomorrow, we'll get to that series next. So we're basically gonna be down to one game a day for the rest it, of. It'll uh, be like the conference finals, basically. Yeah, uh, it'll be cool to be able to lock in on these series. Uh, although the way Cleveland has been playing, it does kind of seem like uh, much sound and fury signifying nothing in this Boston Washington series. Let's talk about Golden State and Utah now. It was a valiant effort from the get the Jazz in Game Three. I thought that they actually outplayed Golden State. They got 
got some better shots than Golden State, although, you know, Golden State shot extremely poorly from three point land, which was part of it. I mean, Steph and Clay combining to be, what was it, seven out of 29. And Steph was at one point like two out of 16 or something. Um, that's not necessarily going to happen again. So they missed some open shots. Utah, I thought, missed a lot of open shots as well, like Rodney Hood, Joe Johnson missed a couple of open threes, especially a huge one late as the Warriors were, were making their run. Uh, Shelvin Mack was three for 11. Um, so even Hayward was only seven out of 18. I thought he missed some open mid-rangers, even though he got to the foul line a ton and was pretty efficient. Rudy Gobert only made seven out of 15 free throws. So they had their chances, but ultimately Kevin Durant was just way too good for them to deal with with his 38 points. Durant was spectacular. I, I called it the definitive game so far for him, at least in the playoffs, but you could argue even for his entire tenure with the Warriors. 38 points, 15 of 26 from the field, four of eight from three. And well, you know what's crazy about that 15 out of 26? He made one shot at the rim all game. Not only that, but he had 38 points on 20 on 26 shots. And so usually for Durant, that would be, you know, he's anchoring it or building from the free throw line. He only attempted four free throws in this game. No, four out of eight on threes, uh, a bunch of them off the dribble in the pick and roll. And, and this is was, this is the Kevin Durant I thought that we were going to get more of in Golden State. Uh, he did much of his damage in the pick and roll. 17 of his 38 points came off of pick and rolls in which he went right at Rudy Gobert. Uh, especially late, he was just hitting ridiculous shots over Gobert. A couple of times he tried to drive and actually got stopped once he drove in and scored a layup. But it was really just all jump shots for KD but he was getting himself open he had a run in the second quarter when they brought him back in with the second unit before Steph where he just isoed and went to unblockable right shoulder fadeaways over Gordon Hayward an excellent defender three times in a row for buckets Uh, and I mean we haven't seen KD go crazy like this just creating his own offense all season like even those OKC games he was mostly you know getting it on the fast break getting set up by other guys finishing plays here he was creating all of his own offense and the Warriors only had 17 assists and it didn't matter just KD and Steph down the end as well were just too good uh, creating off the dribble yeah Curry struggled for basically the entire game and then he and Durant both had 11 points in that fourth quarter it was actually the first time all year that they've both scored in double digits in the fourth quarter granted that's because they haven't had to play a lot of competitive fourth quarters but still notable in that way and in broad strokes obviously the stars were different but this reminded me a little bit of game three in the Blazers series, which was that the home team played well overall. You know, the Jazz missed missed some opportunities, so did the Blazers. But it was a really demoralizing loss because the home team played pretty well, the road team played pretty poorly, and the road team still pulled it out anyway. Despite all those crazy struggles for Golden State, they still ended the game with a 110 offensive rating, uh, and which you know is pretty darn good against a good defensive team uh, on the road. And and a lot of that was just because they were able to outscore them 30 to 21 in the second. And for the Warriors, I mean Utah, I thought played great defense, right? Like holding them to 17 assists on 37 field goals. You never see that from a Warriors team, and the Warriors really you know had to do all their damage from mid range. They shot only nine out of 30 on three pointers and they went 11 out of 23 on long twos outside the paint, uh, which was, was pretty impressive. And you know, a lot of that, of course, being KD going to work, David West, uh, Andre Iguodala made his first two three-pointers of the playoffs and Draymond Green of course couldn't hit a jumper to save his life because those two guys can't both be hitting three-pointers at, at the same time but Draymond I, also I actually, got his first yeah. technical of the playoffs too which is vaguely important we'll see if it matters later on I thought though I mean do you agree with me that the, the Jazz totally outplayed him I thought actually that Golden State's defense was like kind of porous in this one I completely agree with you that they outplayed them it was the second to quarter me. was awful yeah and part of that was something that actually was egregious enough that it was a large portion of locked on Warriors tonight about how badly the straight second unit played because Clark had massive struggles in this game was probably his worst one as a warrior he booted a ball had some bad turnovers I think they had like a 50 offensive rating 
frustrating when he was on the floor. And it goes into that idea that you and I have talked about before of the theory of the lineup. And the unit that the Warriors use and and had a lot of success with in the regular season was Clark, Clay Thompson, Iguodala, Draymond Green, and David West. That group can be good defensively, but offensively, they're going to struggle. Like there, there aren't a lot of guys that can really create reliably in that group. It relies a lot on ball movement and cuts and everything like that. This the massive change when Durant joined that group was incredible because it's like, oh yeah, we could just give him the ball and good things are going to happen. It's sort of the idea of why Lou Williams has a value in the NBA is that you what you can just, the expectation of possessions completely changes with them. And as you get into the role, which the Warriors still haven't gotten into because they're still playing their starters regular season minutes of, oh yeah, we can give this guy more time. We can give them more roles and teams other than maybe the Spurs just don't have counters for that. I think we'll probably see now Brown just slowly move away from what Steve Kerr did. Uh, although Kerr apparently his suggestion was to have KD work and pick and roll against Gobert. And by the way, I mean, remember how we were like Kevin Durant might not be that good in the playoffs? Uh, he had he's coming back from like a grade two MCL and and a severe bone bruise that they thought might be a fracture. I think actually it's possible that that calf injury might have been good for him to allow him to essentially rehab even more. Uh, and then of course the fact that they won that first series in four games and now they're probably going to get even more rest. So he shed that knee brace. It looks like and you know looks like he basically is there. Uh, from an offensive standpoint, I thought he played some pretty good, decent defense at times on Hayward as well but let's remember too when Durant was like the second unit focus guy early in the season he really didn't deliver during those minutes the way he did yesterday but I think they still need to go back to that he's getting more comfortable now and I think as I started to say before I went off a couple tangents I think we'll just see KD start going out a little bit earlier in the first and third quarters and coming back in a little bit earlier so maybe we'll only get you know two minutes of the no KD no Steph lineup and now that they're in Clark is in that unit instead of Livingston Durant has a lot more space to work as well which I I think is pretty important and he's playing with he'll be playing with Draymond now in that unit uh, who can set him up a little bit more has some height can get him some entry passes set him up where he needs to be uh, and I think that'll be useful for him as well, where he was actually playing with Clay Thompson instead. Now it's KD, Draymond, and Thompson all together. And then you've got, you know, Steph kind of running things down the end of the first and third quarters. What do you make of Thompson's struggles in this series? Only one for nine, six points last night. He has not been able to get more than 13 shots in any of the three games. There are two different things that I look for with Clay. One is, is he generating enough opportunities? And I think that Utah, as they did against JJ Redick, has done a nice job of limiting that. He hasn't gotten as much separation. He also has a really big defensive assignment. He's primary. He has the primary assignment on Gordon Hayward a lot. But then the second part is converting the looks that present themselves. And I always think of that as more just rolling the dice. And the probability is going to be about the same. You just it just depends on where it goes. And he's missed more of those shots than usual. And so that part of it i think is just going to eventually work itself out and there are also less possessions as well when you're playing against utah a slower pace and that takes away a bit from everyone's shots but most of it i think is the way that utah is playing they're switching all, anything off the ball that doesn't involve a screen by the five man and that's how clay normally gets open you know you're not going to throw clay the ball and tell him to go to work generally that's not where he's at his best and so if they're switching everything off ball you know they can just deny him on, on a lot of the those floppy type of screens that they like to run for him and it doesn't work that well in fact clay's only bucket in this game was a backdoor layup off their 22 out of bounds play where they put three guys at the foul line and either usually have him come off a double screen but a lot of times if they try and take that away he'll just cut right to the rim for a layup that was his only bucket in this game he missed every single jumper that he took uh did get to the foul line for four attempts but it's uh I'm not that worried about him and frankly even if they're just like taking the taking him away every time he's just creating plenty of space for others to work and that's something that people forget about Clay Thompson it's like oh you know even when he's not getting a ton of shots up it's not like they're not guarding him during that time that's for sure absolutely and his defense has also been excellent I thought that he was by far their best defender on Gordon Hayward I would agree with that completely for for the Jazz standpoint both Hayward and Gobert have been fantastic throughout the vast majority of the series Gobert uh, had 21 points points and 15 boards four assists he passed extremely well in that second quarter when they he was causing the Warriors a lot of problems they 
the Warriors started trapping on some of those sharp angle DHOs where the guy runs straight away from the basket, gets the DHO, and then kind of pinwheels around to try and attack the rim. They were trapping that. They'd find Gobert in the short roll. He'd dime up the guy in the weak side corner. They got some great looks out of that. Uh, so he played really well. Got a rough whistle again at times um, in this one, but only ended with two personal fouls and just couldn't hit his free throws, which was kind of too bad. That really could have changed the game a little bit. Uh, although the Jazz overall were 24-34 from the line. So it's not like in the aggregate they, they shot it that badly. They just haven't had enough support. You know, Joe Ingles, I thought, played pretty well. He's done well at 10 points on six shots. He's guarded Steph Curry reasonably well these last couple of games. When he switch, he can switch pretty well. Also, Mac is very limited offensively, but he can switch as well. He had a couple of nice plays of post defense against Thompson and, and Sean Livingston. And they've also completely erased Joe Johnson from the series though. And I think Joe, a lot of these veteran guys are kind of like this. Dwayne Wade is another one where there's a huge difference between when they're going up against bad defense, like the Clippers, they can still dominate, but if they're going up against good defense, they just really struggle. That's a better way of putting it than I was going to put it. But Johnson, just physically, the difference between the players the Warriors are throwing at him and the players the Clippers are throwing at him yeah. is night and day. And also, while I don't think it's the same thing Rodney Hood has been so hit or miss in this series there were some moments in game in game one where well, he his was... jumper has been all miss like he got to the rim a little bit in game one but he cannot hit a jumper it's been awful yeah and that's that's been a major problem for them and Utah's ceiling to me involves Rodney Hood being a good player for them yeah and we'll of course talk more about their offseason once they uh eventually lose in this series which could be as soon as tomorrow night uh anything else you want to say on this one before we move on nope I've said plenty. So let's get to Boston and Washington. This game, we did it for the Twitter NBA show. And at halftime, it was tied at 48. And I said, I thought that Boston was playing really well. They'd shot eight out of 18 on three pointers in the first half. And I thought that they were going to win. And uh, except for that 26 to zero run by the Wizards in the third quarter, they very well might have. It has been striking how a lot of the definitive plays in this series, except for Isaiah's just absolutely ridiculous game two, have come from the Wizards. Like the Wizards, that remarkable run at the start of game one, that huge push and in the end of the first quarter of game three, like the Wizards have done a lot in this series and it's two to two. And this game was another good represent representation of that. But what I, I was, what I thought was interesting about this was a lot of the other Wizards runs to me were more about what they did right than what Boston did wrong. But I thought Boston looked awful during that third quarter. It certainly was a struggle. They turned it over seven times in that third. And it seemed like every single one led to a Wizards fast break. Uh, some stats from the carnage of that third quarter it was 42 to 20 26 possessions for Washington and that obviously is extremely fast but still at 162 offensive rating whereas Boston had only 20 points on 27 possessions and they turned it over on a full third of their possessions uh, so they actually had more than seven turnovers and it was just a bloodbath they shot five out of 16 actually made three out of their eight three-pointers and seven out of eight from the foul line and so they had nine total total turnovers that yeah, led to uh, 21 wizards points they must have had two shot clock violations that's why because i was looking at just the individual team turn the individual turnovers add up to seven and then the team had another two to just by the shot clock violations that's correct and that also led to the absolutely huge difference in transition point so it was i believe it was 16 to 4 in favor of the wizards just during that quarter the wizards also dominated on the glass much as they did at the start of the game and brad stevens went back to amir johnson i mean that fifth celtic starter they just like we got to come up with some sort of a metaphor for that guy because he just they can't get anything out of him oh, and then I've they brought it. in marcus smart yeah what is it it's the drummer from spinal tap <laughs> I have no idea what that means, but hopefully somebody finds that funny. They will. Hopefully. <laughs> oh, is that because like they just kept changing the drummer and he just like was completely like not integral to the band at all? Yeah, like they had a bizarre gardening accident and a series of other things. Yes. <laughs> I like that before the podcast, you made an airplane reference, and now I made a Spinal Tap reference, so we're we're all in on, like, 70s and 80s comedy. Yeah, Danny was, like, coughing as he came on the air, and I was I asked him about his drinking problem. Um, So, yeah, Wall was ridiculous in that quarter. In fact, three Wizards scored 10 or more points in that quarter. Wall, Beal, and Markeith Morris, uh, who was two of two on threes and four of four from the foul line, and they had six steals, nine assists, which was fantastic, and, and every basket 
bucket that wasn't assisted was probably just like a run out or something too uh it really and I thought the biggest problem for the Celtics was offensively and uh, the defensive glass as well Amir Johnson just has not been the answer on the on the defensive glass so if you're gonna get killed on the defensive glass you and Crowder had a really bad defensive rebounding game as well I thought he really got beasted by Markeith quite a few times uh Isaiah Thomas had five turnovers of their nine turnovers in the quarter and that that was ridiculous but and I thought the problem again was they didn't run I thought a single high pick and roll with Isaiah and they had great success with that when they went down eight to zero to start the game because you know they always have to go down eight to zero to start the game if not more and came back and and got right back into it with Thomas shooting the lights out from three-point range and in part because they were setting really high screens just like they did in the Bulls series and then just going right to work against Marcin Gortat and what they did instead there just wasn't the space on the floor it's just like the Bulls series this time they were not guarding Marcus Smart so Otto Porter who was a fantastic had a couple of steals digging down Markeith Morris had a couple of steals digging down and Boston just like was throwing the ball away they were trying to drive in a three people and getting it stolen it really just looked extremely ugly and so now the question becomes uh, with this Wizards team is John Wall was awesome again you know Bradley Beal was able to break out a little bit for them with 29 points on 11 to 16 uh matched up in large part against Isaiah Thomas uh, because Otto Porter kind of bludgeoned Thomas in, in the previous game. You picked Wizards in six. I had Celtics in seven. Where are you at uh, as far as those predictions now? I still think the Celtics are going to win this series, but uh, which is what I've thought since game one. But I'm more I'm more comfortable in the possibility of my prediction being right than before. An element that I think we should discuss, and you alluded to it just now, is that this game was different because Boston's comeback was actually still with their starters on the floor. They went down 8 nothing. And then they they tied the game and then eventually took a small lead even before Washington got to their bench. And I think that's an important part of this because it was really the first sign that they could get some stuff done, starters versus starters. And I don't know where this series is going to go, but the idea that that is not just like an, a massive advantage for the Wizards helps Boston's chances a lot, even though they still haven't figured out that fifth spot. And the reason I declared the series over after game one was I thought Markeith was going to miss a ton of time and that the defense for Washington would just be totally inadequate and Marquise being able to come back I think he looked like he was pretty close to 100% in this one defensively which was huge he had three steals uh five assists 10 rebounds 16 points in this one really an excellent game for him it's I think I'd still go with Boston again just because of the math when when series go to two home games and two road games with the home team or with the uh the favorite winning two and then losing two the math usually is that that team is in a pretty dominant position and kp had this stat which i thought was a good one even in series where the road team has outscored the home team through four games and it's tied at 2-2 the road team is 12 and 42 in such series which i thought i mean that's amazing it just shows you again you know my adage that if you're the road team you better be up 3-1 after game four but i still think that washington can win this series and they certainly have outplayed boston i mean you could make the argument even in game one that they outplayed him and then Morris got hurt game two they had a lead of 10 points in the fourth quarter and then or late in the third quarter and then Boston came back and took a ridiculous performance by Thomas and uh, Wall just kind of ran out of gas I do think that Boston has the advantage in the clutch in this series in part because I think that Wall and Beal and and the Washington starters are more prone to run out of gas Um, but and Thomas just has been so unbelievable in the clutch. But I mean, I'm worried that there may not even be a clutch in game five. So I, I think that this is closer to anybody's series. And this has kind of been the series we thought it would be after, you know, when this matchup became clear because Morris has been able to return. And they also have gotten Jan Mahimi back. And I think just even though Mahimi was negative 13 in a game that they won by 19, just giving him some minutes to spell Gortat. And Gortat is just so much better when he, if you see the way he plays at the start, start of the first and the start of the third a lot of times he's just like seems to have so much more energy than he does late in the half either on the offensive glass or defensively like him not running out of gas is huge when he doesn't have to play 40 minutes it really helps things it's a very important point and something that i've noticed as well something else that i've harped on one of the benefits of doing the twitter nba show is watching these sorts of things more closely scott brooks is still periodically playing brendan jennings and john wall together which 
Brandon Jennings provides no surplus value there because John Wall's the one you want them with the ball in your hands and Brandon Jennings can't shoot. They actually were slightly successful with that duo in the regular season, again, tying with the idea of better bench units, but they've been, they have a negative 20.5 net rating in the playoffs with those two together. And it's a lineup that makes no sense when you have guys like Sadoransky that are other options who can at least shoot, provide some off-ball benefit. Well, Sadoransky can't shoot, but uh, he can at least defend, I think. like he's And, and he can handle the ball a little bit if well, you want to give Wall I think you respect break, but... his shot more more than Brandon Jennings a shot. No, that's not true. Really? I, I, yeah. Sadoransky is, he won't even think about shooting. I know he's like a white European guy, but he can't shoot. I promise you. <laughs> uh, right. Jennings, I, at I, least. I don't know. I th- I th- maybe it's because of the beginning of the season. I think he hit a couple and it just stayed in my head. No, he doesn't even, I mean, if it's if you just look more at like his three-point attempt rate. Oh uh, yeah, his attempt rate is super low. Yeah, and he doesn't even look take, look to take that shot, but they do seem to play well when he's on the floor. But Jennings is the guy that they brought in via buyout. I'm sure they made promises to him about playing time and at least on offense Jennings has a pedigree in the league like they're not just going to leave him wide open but god he's is he bad defensively I mean like he he had took this route to try and go over a screen uh and gave up a wide open three to Avery Bradley today where he tried to go under was about to get under the screen and then stopped and decided no I'm going to go over instead and then never got over and it just ended up being an absolute wide open three I mean he is so bad at negotiating on or off ball screens uh that it's really a huge huge problem for Washington and and he, you know he shoots 37% or whatever it's all long twos and I mean I understand if you feel like you need somebody to run the, the second unit but if you got wall out there Jennings gives you nothing offensively so I mean they got to just maybe give some more minutes to Ubre uh, I mean there's just I mean I would rather see like Sheldon McClellan in that lineup or maybe more minutes for Bogdanovich whatever it is uh Sadoransky, as you said uh next to wall Jennings it does nothing that's probably too long on that lineup but you know it could cost him a game here it, if they keep running it so if we ever get a close game in the series other than that game two 538 right now has the spurs having a 59 percent chance of winning their series and the celtics at 57 do those feel about right to you no i think that's probably too low in both series i think it's probably like 65 percent for both of them just due to the history i mean having two of the games at home I don't know how much 538 is factoring in the results of the series already versus just regular season. I'm guessing not that much considering they didn't have Cleveland as like a, a ver- mortal lock to win game to win their series after game three. I think they were at like 96% and I'm just sitting there going, huh? Yeah, well, Cleveland did play terribly in the regular season, that's for sure. And and it seems not to have mattered. Uh, we'll get to that Cleveland series momentarily here. But first, this from Sherry's Berries in time for Mother's Day. That is why they've decided to advertise on the show. Mother's Day is coming up and Sherry's Jerry's Berries is offering huge, freshly dipped strawberries starting at $19.99 plus shipping. I have never seen dipped strawberries like this before. They are enormous. Took me three bites to finish one. I theoretically am trying to cut down on carbs at the moment, but uh, it didn't really work to resist these berries. They're covered in decadent toppings, chocolate chips, chopped nuts, white milk, and dark chocolate. It's an unexpected gift that will put a smile on any mom's face. And right now I have an exclusive offer for you. When you double the berries for mom for just $10 more, she'll get free cake truffles as well. Just pick your delivery date and your berries are guaranteed to arrive fresh and delicious or your money back. The only way to get this amazing deal for berries starting at just $19.99, you visit berries.com click on the microphone in the top right corner and use my code which of course is cap space we're going to start talking about cap space a lot now as we get into the offseason previews starting tomorrow with toronto that's berries.com use the code cap space when you click on the, the mic in that top right corner this amazing deal won't last long and mother's day is right around the corner be sure to order now 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 okay i think that's as excited as i've ever gotten during a read and i'm probably more a lot more excited for that read than i was for the conclusion of this Cavs rap series we haven't done game three or game four game three of the series was pretty nip and tuck throughout despite kyle lowry that that was the game where the no he was out that entire game right yeah he like decided he tried to warm up he dressed he was active and just couldn't do it and then he said after the game that in trying to warm up he felt like he worsened things there's some competing narratives that maybe it's a high ankle sprain and it it was really weird it looked like most ankle sprains are an inversion sprain and what uh, brian windhorse article said is that's actually an eversion sprain so if you think about it your ankle is turning outward rather than turning inward usually it's like the outside of your ankle goes to the floor this is the inside so that's a little bit weird uh, i'm sure uh, and not something that a lot of players have to deal with and with but with the guy falling on his ankle like that you understand like how that happened um i I think it was norman 
Powell who got thrown down and, and took out Lowry's legs. It wouldn't have mattered though if he'd been healthy. Do you agree with me on that? By and large, maybe they would have pulled a game, maybe. But Cleveland was better. And game three, there was just that huge run in the fourth quarter that had to have been absolutely demoralizing because they had kept the game pretty close despite having some shaky three-point shooting overall. Toronto, they went a long time without making one at all in that game, but then they ended up two of 18 from long distance. And Cleveland just had that blitz. I think it started at the beginning of the fourth quarter and then it was, yeah, yeah, we were doing the Twitter NBA show. That's right. And the game, because we were like, hey, let's do it. It's close. It's the fourth quarter. And then yeah, it was it's close. And then it immediately got completely out of hand with the LeBron plus shooters lineup. The second just absolutely dominating stretch for that lineup after that game three win where they came back from 24 down at the half against uh indiana so the big question i have i mean and then this game you know it was pretty close to tie in the fourth quarter and kyrie irving scored 11 points in a row and and uh, toronto again couldn't score i mean toronto's offensive rating for the series was below a point per possession zach lowe's column as he noted something that i really had been on to is just that toronto always seems to have a really good regular season offense and then they always seem to stink it up like they they locked their way into the conference finals they would have lost that series to miami i believe had his on Whiteside not gotten injured and they had to go with Justice Winslow at center for the entire rest of the series Miami I thought they were like well on their way to losing to that Miami team even with Miami's injuries before Whiteside went down they should have lost to Indiana the series before that was not a good Indiana team uh, although it was at least an elite defense so at least they had the excuse of going up against good defenses last year and then this year Milwaukee not a good defense Cleveland not a good defense Cleveland uh, was really bad trying to stop Indiana in the previous series. And so and we can talk about what that means for Cleveland going forward. And we also need to just briefly discuss this incredible postseason that LeBron James is having. But why is Toronto so good in the regular season on offense and so bad in the playoffs on offense? DeMar DeRozan does a lot better against average competition than above average and it just so happens that a lot of the better teams in the NBA happen to make the playoffs so he faces last year you know Paul George and various other guys and then you know and he didn't even have LeBron James on him for most of this series for very it was actually very sparing no it was JR and I thought he actually did okay against JR but he's he's so inconsistent I mean he's had some big games but others he hasn't and I think one of the things that just marks and there's a lot of problems that they have as well like the not moving the ball, their ISO heavy style, et cetera. One of the things that marks the difference between the regular season and the postseason is I don't remember, and I think I watched every second of every Raptors game other than maybe like two quarters of this game before it got close again, this game four. I don't recall DeMar DeRozan faking a guy into the air and getting free throws on a jumper one time. Maybe it happened like once in the Milwaukee series. I don't think it's happened a single time in this Cleveland series because guys are just locked in. They know that they, you can't give up those BS plays to him. And if he's not getting to the foul line, it will all of a sudden it becomes a lot more difficult for him to score and I thought Cleveland even kind of played into his hands and the Raptors hands by trapping a little bit and then the other problem is just the Raps shooters for whatever reason like don't seem to deliver they're 10 out of 29 on three-pointers in this one a lot of those are really wide open shots and you know that was even with PJ Tucker going four out of seven on threes which is a, a gift but like Patrick Patterson a key cog for them in the regular season plays 10 minutes 0 for 2 on three-pointers Norm Powell he's come back to earth only two for eight on three pointers he had plenty of opens ones uh Ibaka had 23 points in this one 10 out of 18 but uh that really wasn't enough and he certainly had a ton of uh defensive miscalculations their defensive communication wasn't great and they just like their offense just like they wait too long to get into sets they don't know what they're running they're not really able to move the ball they're not used to moving the ball fast enough and that's why they continue to struggle and I think I mean is there anything else you wanted to add about that I guess the last thing I would add is too we've seen yeah let me let me finish this first we've seen that teams that run this really iso heavy offense can struggle in the playoffs to score and two teams that come to mind uh of your the 09 blazers and the 2011 hawks both of those teams were really good top five offenses but they isoed they ran the clock down they didn't really move the ball and just when you're locked in, you can deal with that. I mean, unless you have, maybe that'll work like like if you have Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant, or maybe that'll work if you have LeBron James and Kyrie Irving. These guys are not that good. If you have Brandon Roy or Joe Johnson or DeMar DeRozan or Kyle Lowry, those guys aren't good enough to really beat committed defenses who are locked in on what you're trying to do every single playoff possession. And 
you know, now, of course, a decision is coming for the routes, which we'll talk a lot more about tomorrow in their offseason preview. Uh, did, did you have anything else you understand why their offense has been so bad other than what I said? Yes. Team-specific preparation and adjustments. I think that is really the summation of the whole thing, is that in the regular season, teams have to, they have to basically execute the same thing. They don't get enough practice time. They don't get enough preparation time. And DeMar DeRozan is a pain in the ass to prepare for. He's a different type of guy. He's talented. He gets to the free throw line. He's an adjustment. Same yeah. thing with Teams aren't trying to take away mid-range shots anymore. You know, like that's, that's the shot you're willing to give up and he thrives on that. So you have to kind of adjust your mentality for him. I think that makes perfect sense that's all <laughs> uh cleveland now that we've like been shitting on the raptors offense do you buy that cleveland's defense is fixed it was good in this series or is it just the raptors aren't any good on offense in the playoffs more the latter than the former because they were con- the shots they were conceding are shots that you cannot concede against better teams you can't just say oh we can pick three guys on your team and we're just going to let them shoot however many times they want can't do that against the warriors probably can't do that against the starters of whoever they're going to play in the next round yeah and they felt like they when they went to these offensive lineups that I mean, I thought that the second quarter when they went out to a 10-point lead and Kyle Korver had 16 of his 18 points was telling because the Raptors and the Cavs got basically the same type of shots during that run but it was just Ibaka missed wide open three Powell missed wide open three both from I think Ibaka kind of double clutched on his as he'll do because he's not he's never has no sense of the court he's never really sure whether he's open or not before he goes into his jumper uh or Powell missed wide open corner three and then it was just you know two Corver threes on the other end and Cleveland just has these absolutely incredible three-point shooters especially when they don't have to play Shumpert that much I I mean, even Darren Williams is a really good three-point shooter. Fry just continues to, I mean, he had 10 points in 12 minutes in this game. I mean, he's just an incredible shooter. Uh, LeBron, I mean, he's five out of 12 on three-pointers. T- 12 of his 22 shots were three-pointers in this one. We'll see whether he can keep that up or not. So, no, I I need to see the Cavaliers go up against a better offense. And I, I do think, we said this on the Twitter NBA show, I think that, I don't think either Washington or, or Boston is going to do that well against Cleveland. But I like Washington chances better, even if I think the Celtics have a higher median outcome and also because they have the home court. But I think Washington can just, has more of a chance of just exploding so much offensively that they actually can keep up with, with Cleveland. I just don't think Boston can quite get there. Like their three-point shooters are, just not quite reliable enough uh to get there but you know i still don't think that they're in this cavaliers offense is so incredible that i don't think there's any team other than the warriors that can score with them uh maybe houston but i i think that the warriors is also the only defense i think can really slow them down as well Let's talk a little bit about LeBron. He's been absolutely incredible playing 42 minutes a game. I mean, it works because they've swept both series and they've gotten a lot of time off. 34 46 point... minutes in this one, by the way. <sighs> yeah. And four, he played 45 minutes in the closeout game against the Pacers. Right. 34.4 points per game on 55.7% shooting, which is better than the regular season, 47% from three and 73% from the line. So better than better than last year, about even with his career average. And he's just been spectacular. Yeah, has had a few high turnover games, but I mean, this is one of the finest playoffs of his career so far. And granted, they haven't exactly played a murderer's row yet, but you know, I, th- I think this Raptors team on paper was better than some of these other teams that they've summarily dispatched in the second round. So Cleveland has now played since LeBron returned eight series in the Eastern Conference playoffs. Six of those series have been sweeps. Two went six games, 2015 against Chicago and 2016 against the Raptors. And in both of those series, they won a game six on the opponent's floor by roughly 70,000 points. So uh, yeah, I guess they're not really worried about their ability to compete in the East against, uh, against really anybody. Yeah, remember when we were talking about the difference between the two seed and the one seed? And I, I still think that logic was sound in terms of the easier path. Cleveland doesn't care. For the Raptors, they finally started P.J. Tucker. Congratulations on that. He played 46 minutes and was a valiant effort, had 14 points, 12 rebounds, four steals, four offensive boards. And he actually did a great job on LeBron, but just the transition absolutely killed Toronto, uh, especially in that second quarter. And I mean, LeBron still had a great game, but I mean, they, to make him take 
take 12 of his 22 shots as three pointers is actually pretty good hold him to six assists four six turnovers like they did a pretty damn good job on the guy despite the fact that he, he was unbelievable so uh like jared dudley tweeted out during the game like pj tucker is finally starting like amazing that they're playing better now and and he should have been matched up with lebron james for every second and i completely agree i mean damari carroll who started this series only played six minutes in this one and uh you know powell i thought did an okay job on lebron in, in games two and three but i mean that's why they brought pj tucker in here like why didn't he just play guard lebron for every second and it's specifically he should have guarded Giannis for every second in the last series and it was specifically for those elite small forwards it wasn't even like oh you know you're good good to have him on the roster like you got him to defend lebron james all right i think we're done here it's been good to catch up tomorrow we'll talk a little bit about golden state in utah if utah wins that we'll probably spend a little more time on it and then we got to get into the off-season previews gonna do off-season previews for toronto a fascinating one and there are a lot of teams with really interesting off-seasons here and we're gonna hit on a lot of them this week toronto and indiana will be how we're gonna kick that off and i think that's gonna be tremendously interesting i'm looking forward to really digging into the into their books and for those of you who are kind enough to subscribe on patreon i'll actually post the salary sheets that i have created of my projections for them and and the cap holds and what my assumptions are are built in there on patreon so you guys can check those out as well that's only for subscribers who want to support us here at dunked on or with the twitter nba show which is free and we're hoping to get some support from that uh, via patreon patreon.com slash duncan larue is the way to do that Uh, and we really appreciate your help on that to keep the Twitter NBA show going and free. And if you're, our sponsors don't work out for you or you want to just support us directly, which some people have been kind enough to do that URL again, patreon.com slash Duncan Larue. And of course our sponsors today, Sherry's Berries use the cap space code to get some fresh dipped strawberries delivered to mom for Mother's Day for just $19.99. And Indochino, any premium suit, a mere $379. Price reduction it used to be $389 using the cat space code as well. We will catch you next time. Till then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.